One of the things that's a part of our modern culture is hype. Yeah, hype. You and I experience hype on a weekly and perhaps even a daily basis. Companies use hype to spur sales on the latest gadget. Sports teams use hype to encourage a loyal following. Even some churches use hype to achieve growth and to electrify the congregation. But Jeremiah didn't prophesy that God's plan for us was hype. He said God has a hope and a future for you. Jesus didn't come to earth, walk the streets of Jerusalem, die on the cross on Golgotha to create any hype. He did all of that to give you an everlasting hope. Hope is the key ingredient to any flourishing human life. What your hope is founded in either makes that hope less sure or more sure. People hope in many different things. When you were a child, perhaps your hope was in Santa Claus. Yeah, Christmas was coming around the corner and you had a hope that Santa was going to bring you something out of what they called the wish book, right? Yeah, my mom used to bring it into the house. It was the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog. And that's where you put your hope that somehow Santa was going to bring what you wanted. Maybe your hope was in your dad or your mom. As adults, we hope in many different things as well. Some have hope in their job, their employer, or their boss. Some put hope in a person. Maybe it's a friend or a relative or even your spouse. Some put hope in political parties or politicians. Some put hope in money, a strategy, or even an idea or a dream. All of these things have given people hope. And depending upon the trustworthiness of the one or the thing that the hope was in, that hope either endured for a long time or quickly faded into the past. The question that presents itself tonight is this. Christian, where is your hope? Where is your hope and what are you hoping in? Tonight, we continue in our series, The 21st Century Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian in the 21st century? One thing it means, as we will see in our text tonight, the Christian possesses a living hope that is everlasting. If you're in Christ, if you are born from the Father above, if you're a Christian, then you have in your possession an everlasting living hope. You only need to live in it. Amen? You only need to live in the everlasting hope that you have. You only need to be reminded of it so that it has not or does not fade from your view or your perspective. Peter here in his opening to his first letter tells Christians of this living hope that Christ has given to them. The apostle Peter here outlines three important aspects of this hope that we have as Christians. If you're taking notes tonight, amen, anybody? If you're taking notes tonight, I've got three points. The first point tonight is this. You have an everlasting inheritance. You have an everlasting inheritance. Let's pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. It says this, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Jesus has given us a living hope. It's a living hope. It's an everlasting hope. And Peter tells us this. Peter told the first century Christians. And tonight, if you're a Christian, he's telling the 21st century Christians. He's telling us that this happens because of the mercy of God. We have a hope in Christ. We can hope in God because of the mercy of the Father in bringing us to new life in Jesus Christ. What God has done for us and each and every person who's willing to receive it is his mercy has been given to us. According to God's law, we're sinners, right? According to God's law, we've, we've fallen short. Paul, in his book, in his letter to the Romans, he spells it all out for us, right? It's, it's crystal clear. Every single person has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We transgressed the law of God. But within this same law that we transgressed, God also provided his mercy. Amen? In the very law that we've transgressed, he's also provided for his mercy to be extended to us. How's that? His law stated for Moses to build a, a, a box, really. A, it was called the Ark of the Covenant. In the law, it stated, Moses, you're to build the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark was a lid that was also a seat. It was a seat, and, and it was called the mercy seat. And this is where Moses was to meet with God. Of all the things, of all the things that God said in his law that Moses was to make, and, and as they were building the tabernacle, there was one thing, one place, one thing that God commanded Moses to build, and he said, yeah, it's there. That's where I want to meet you. Where was it? On the mercy seat. You'll find it in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. I'll have it up on the screen for you. It says this, And there I will meet you, meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony. So here you had the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, and it was really, it was, it pictures God's throne room. It's, it's, it's his, his seat. And where he sits is, a, is called a mercy seat. And that's where he wants to meet with us. He wants, he wants us to come through him to the mercy seat. In fact, it's the only way we can come. It's the only way we can come is to come to him through the mercy seat. And this is where Moses met with God at the mercy seat. Now, the first to see and meet with Jesus after the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, fast forwarding 1,500 years from the time that Moses built the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, 1,500 years later, Jesus came, he walked, he died on Calvary, he was buried, dead, and resurrected on the third day, and we have the first eyewitness. The first eyewitness of the resurrection, and it was Mary. And if you know the story, you can read it there in John chapter 20. Uh, the morning has progressed. The tomb is empty. Everybody's running all over the place trying to figure out what in the world's going. Mary's the only one left in the, in the garden, in the garden tomb. And she's looking into the tomb one last time. She's just weeping and crying. And what does she see as she looks in? She sees there on the slab 
two angels, one at the foot where Jesus' body was laid and what one at the head. And what you see is a beautiful picture of the mercy seat of Almighty God being fulfilled at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How's that? Because she turns around, and who does she see? Jesus. Now, she thinks he's the gardener. He thinks, she thinks he's the gardener, but she quickly figures out as the gardener, <laughs> as Jesus calls her name, Mary, and she realizes that it is Jesus. And she's the first eyewitness of the resurrection. Amen? After witnessing this, this fulfillment of the mercy seat, she's the first eyewitness of the resurrection. So where is it that we meet God? We meet him at the mercy seat. That's where we come. We come to the mercy of God. It's the same for us. We meet Jesus at the mercy seat. We meet Jesus at the mercy of the Father. The grace of God really is the giving of his mercy to us. That's really what the, what the grace of God is God giving his mercy to us. See, because grace is unmerited favor. And the mercy of God is what we need. And so when we receive grace, we're really receiving the grace of his mercy being poured out into our lives. Amen? And this mercy is the Father. Here's what Peter is saying here. This mercy is the Father begetting us again. Look down at verse 3 there. This is what he's saying. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begot us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the mercy of God has played out in your life. If you've come to the Lord, if you've come to Jesus, the mercy of God has flowed out into your heart. And what has happened in that is God has begot you again. What, what's that? That sounds like some type of biblical you know, you know, language and all this, begotten and all that. Nobody talks like that, begotten and this, you know, the father begotten and begotten, begotten. No, come on, explain it. What is this? The wording begotten again, begotten us again, is it's slightly different than born again, where Jesus says you must be born again, but it's the exact same meaning. It means to be born again, to be begotten again, to be born of the Father, to be born from above. And this is what has happened to us in Christ Jesus. We've been born of the Spirit. We've been born from the Father above. He's begotten us again. Amen? We're born again in the Spirit. And the result is this, that we have a living hope. We're a brand new person in Christ We've been begotten again. We've been born again in the spirit. And because we're brand new in Christ and we're a living spirit now in God, we're sons and daughters of God, the result is that we have a living hope. We have a hope for, for, for future. We have a hope in God. We have a hope for all that God is going to bring about in our lives because, hey, we have a life now. We've been given a life. We've received the mercy of God. Wow. That's hope. That's incredible. Think about it. We were dead in our sins. We were dead. We were down in a miry pit. It was a tough situation, but God came into our situation and he dealt with the deadness of our situation. And as Paul said in Ephesians 2, he made us alive even though we were dead in our sins. He made us alive. So we've got a hope, Christian. We've got a hope in Jesus Christ. When you get born again, you get hope, not hype. Amen? When you get born again, you get hope, not hype. We got a real live living hope in Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded of it every day. 
Now, the possession of this living hope results in three main things. The first of which Peter tells us is this. It's an everlasting inheritance. We have this living hope in Christ because of all that God has done in our lives. And the first thing that proceeds from this living hope is that we have an everlasting inheritance. Look down at it. Verse 4. That we've been begotten again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and the... the, the, uh, uh, Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. (laughs) Tongue-tied. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen? So we've got an everlasting inheritance. It's incorruptible and undefiled and it doesn't fade away. Now Peter doesn't you look at, you're thinking, okay, we've got an everlasting hope. I want to hear about this. Tell me all about what's going to happen. Tell me everything that that's, that's, that's God's going to do in my life. Tell me all about heaven. Describe it for me. No, Peter doesn't describe what the inheritance is, but he tells us everything that it isn't. Amen? He tells us that it's, that it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and that it does not fade away. It can never perish. It can't spoil. It can't go bad. It doesn't fade away. It's not, the, it's not like the other hopes. It's not like all the other hopes that I talked about in the beginning. It's not hoping in Santa Claus. not hoping in this person, that person. It's not hoping in a company. It's not hoping in a country. It's not hoping in this, hoping in that. No, this is an everlasting inheritance, and it's a hope that will never fade away. Amen? It can't be spoiled. It can't be spoiled. People have a hope in a lot of things. They put their hope in a lot of things. Last week. Hey Amen. Yeah, I heard it. I heard the giggles. Last week, man, Powerball, right? The whole country was hoping. You want to talk about hope? A Powerball hope swept across the nation. $1.6 billion of hope. And when the numbers were picked, of all the millions of people that had tickets, only three went, ah, I hit the Powerball, right? One from right over here, somewhere, Publix in Melbourne Beach. I meant to go down there. I meant to go down there to to Melbourne Beach last week. Hey, but you know what? The hope of the world, the hopes, it dep- the hope depends on what you're hoping in and how reliable, how trustworthy. We, we put our hope in stuff, and sometimes hope, it just, it just fades away. It just fades away. It's a fading hope. Some, some hopes just go as quickly as they come. You, you have a hope. Man, I hope tomorrow's going to be better than today. You wake up tomorrow and it's like, no, it's not. I got, you know, you know, and then and then and then you go on Facebook and you see someone somewhere else in the country shoveling snow, and you're like, okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. Could be worse. You could be scraping ice off of your windshield to go anywhere. Amen. I've done it. Raise your hand if you've done it. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> One time I was trying to do it. I didn't have one of those scrapers, and I, had, I figured out you could use the edge of a CD case, right? The edge of a CD case, if, in case it ever occurs. That's a little tip. 
Well, the edge of the CD case will get you, get you taken care of. Hype. Listen to this. Hype is an exciting counterfeit masquerading as hope. Hype is an exciting counterfeit masquerading as hope. And the world is full of hype. Oh, the world is so full of hype. Hyped up, hyped up, hyped up. I, hey, I've, I've gotten hyped up on stuff. I get hyped up. I'm, I'm, I'm hypeable. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a hypeable person. And you get all hyped up on stuff. But hype is, a count, is an exciting counterfeit masquerading as hope, and God hasn't given us any hype. Hype, hope is what he's given us. He's given us hope. The Christian has a living hope and an everlasting inheritance that will never fade away. This is where we sing in the song, All Things New. We sing the song, I believe it's Hillsong. Your love never changing, this hope never fading. Hallelujah. Amen? When you have your hope in Jesus Christ, it will never fade away. It's the, it's the same strength, the same force, the same power that it had yesterday. The hope that you have in Jesus hasn't diminished from yesterday. It's the same force, it's the same power, it's the same strength, it's the same hope that you had yesterday, and it never fades away. In fact, it's more powerful today because you're one day closer to the everlasting inheritance that God has for you, amen? You know, you can get up in, 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 a, big, in a big auditorium and, you, in, and you, can, you, can, you can really hit a home run with this one. You don't, if, you, if you ever find yourself and you're in front of a bunch of Christians and you, you're given the floor and you just don't know what to say, you can just say, we're one day closer than we were before, amen, <laughs> to seeing the Lord and to being with God in heaven. Oh, wow, wow, really? One day closer, yeah, you mean it's not yesterday, it's today? Yeah, we're one day closer, amen? Genius. But the truth of it is powerful that, wow, the hope that we have. We're getting closer to the inheritance. And let me, let me, let me take it one step further, because this, this everlasting inheritance that we have, we, we think of heaven, right? We think of heaven as the inheritance. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to have a new temple, a new tent, a new house, if you will. And we're looking forward to that. Amen. And we're, 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 we're like, man, it's going to be awesome. But you know what? The, the, the main inheritance is we have right now, amen? What, really? We have the inheritance? Yeah, there's part of it, all those things that are reserved in heaven for us, but we get God now, amen? And God's the inheritance. God's your inheritance, Christian. Christian, God is your inheritance. Pick it up in Psalm 73. The psalmist says this, he says in verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God's my portion. God's my inheritance. Look, he talks about stuff failing. You want to talk about stuff failing and fading? Yeah, my, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's my inheritance. And you know what? I love all those places in the Old Testament and even where they're talked about in the New Testament where it talks about that God has a, he has a portion. God has a portion and it's us. And we have a portion and it's him. Amen? And so the everlasting inheritance, wow, it's the everlasting God. 
It's the everlasting God. Your flesh will fade, your heart will fail, but God is your portion forevermore. Amen. I came across this, this little piece this week and I wanted to, to read it. And um, it, was, it was put up and it's, it's some of the last words. It's, it's, it's not the very last words, but it's some, some last words from Steve Jobs. I don't know if you've seen this. But this is what he said. He said, I've come to the pinnacle of success in business. In the eyes of others, my life has been the symbol of success. However, apart from work, I have little joy. Finally, my wealth is simply a fact to which I am accustomed. At this time, lying on a hospital bed and remembering all my life, I realize all the accolades and riches of which I once was so proud have become insignificant with my imminent death. In the dark, when I look at green lights of the equipment for artificial respiration and feel the buzz of their mechanical sounds, I can feel the breath of my approaching death looming over me. Only now do I understand that once you accumulate enough money for the rest of your life, you have to pursue objectives that are not related to wealth. It should be something more important. For example, stories of love, art, dreams of my childhood. No, stop pursuing wealth. It can only make a person into a twisted being just like me. God has made us one, one way. We can feel the love in the heart of each of us and not illusions built by fame or money like I made in my life. I can't take them with me. I can only take with me the memories that were, the, that were strengthened by love. This is the true wealth that will follow you, will accompany you. He will give you strength and light to go ahead. And he goes on and on and on. And I just wanted to read those words because here was a man who was just, you know, in our culture, I mean, how many have an Apple product in your hand right now, okay? That, that was his dream. And, and here, on, here on his deathbed, there was nothing that that wealth or, or anything could do for him. And so, Christian, you have a hope. You have a living hope and you have an everlasting inheritance. And we need to be reminded of that. Number two, if you're keeping track and taking notes, my second point is this, you're kept by God's power. Let's pick it up, verse five. It says this, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved in various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and, and, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Christian's hope is sure because he is kept by God's power. First, your hope produces an inheritance, an everlasting inheritance. Second, you're kept by God's power. You're kept by God's power. Through faith, believing in and hoping in Christ, we're kept by God's power, the power of God. Now, this word here for kept is a great word. It's a great word in the Greek, and it, 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 it's, it's a word... That it means this. It means to guard, to protect by a military guard. It's a, to, to put out a military garrison. 
either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. This is the word that Peter used to tell you that you're kept by the power of God. We're kept by God's power. We're guarded. He he set a garrison, a guard, to keep you by his power. Yeah, the word there is dunamis. It's, It's the word that describes the power of God. It's actually where we get our word for, in the English language, is dynamite. Talk about dynamite and the power that it portrays, but but the power of God to keep you. You're kept by God's power. The the, the power that made the world. God's power that that holds the elements together. And, And that power is keeping you right now, Christian. Now Peter goes on here, and he tells these first century Christians that they may be grieved, by various trials. You're kept by God's power, but you may be grieved by various trials. Trials will come into the the life of the Christian. If you read the New Testament, despite what some preachers out there might say, you might come into some various trials, amen? Despite what they may say, the New Testament writers are in agreement the Christian will come into various trials. James, Peter, Paul, he tells us all about his trials, amen? So the Christian will come into various trials. And it was the same for the first century Christian, same for the 21st century Christian. The trials will come into the life of the Christian. Now the trial is going to do two things in the life of the Christian. First, the trial is going to train you. The trials that come into your life train you. They train you. They build you up. You you, you go through a trial, you learn something. God's teaching you something. You know, when the trial comes, it's not to be, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't know how you were. I was always like a front. I'm I'm a front row sitter. I'm a a front row sitter. I, I try, if I can, I try to make it to the front row. And that's where I sat in school. Because I knew that if I sat in the back of the room, man, it's real easy to just kind of get distracted in the back of the room and just fade away into nothing. And, 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 and if you want to do well, I think you gotta, you got to pay attention. And for some of us, we, we need to sit in the front row so that we can, so, you know, the, spit, the teacher can, is clo- we're close enough that we can be spit on. Yes. Amen. And, 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 and so we get it. We'll get it. And so when you're going through trials, Christian, the, the trial is there to train you. You read all about that. I don't have time to cover that, but that's a whole lesson there in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Secondly, the trial will tell you. First, the trial will train you. Secondly, the trial will tell you. The trial will tell you what or whom your hope is in. It will tell you about your faith. Your trial is telling Your trial is telling. Your trial is telling you something about your faith and your hope. Don't be concerned that you're in a trial. Some Christians feel that they should never be in a trial, that they should never, the Christian should never be grieved. My goodness, where do they get this? 
They must not be reading the same Bible that I'm reading. There must, they must not be reading the same. They must be not reading the same Jesus that I'm reading. They're not reading the same Paul that I'm reading. They're not reading the same James that I'm reading. They're not reading the same Peter that I'm reading. The Christian is going to go through trials, and there's going to be times that there's, we're going to be grieved. So don't be concerned that the trial is there. Don't be concerned even that you're grieved. But look what the trial is telling you about your hope and your faith because your trial is telling. How strong is your faith? How genuine is your faith? The trial proves our faith. The word for genuineness there, look at that verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tested by fire, it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word for genuineness there means, it means proving. That the proving of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith, that the proving of your faith, that by which something is tried or proved or a, a test. The Christian faith is... Peter says here, it's more precious than gold. It's, it's more precious than gold. Now, gold is pretty precious. In our, in our culture and all the way back to the very beginning of human history, gold has been precious. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2... God took time out and telling us all about the creation and Eden and Adam and Eve and all this and four rivers coming out of Eden. He took time out to tell us where the gold was. Look at there, chapter 2 of Genesis. Yeah, the river Pishon that skirts the land of Havilah where the gold is. Interesting. All the way back to the beginning. And all the way forward to the end of the, end of the book, gold has a significance. It's, there's a, there is a preciousness of gold. I got, a, I got a picture of gold here. Gold bars, right? Look at that. Gold is still precious right up until this very moment. I checked it this afternoon for the study. It's going for $1,088 an ounce. $1,088 an ounce. Now that's down a little bit from the high, but that's still a lot. $1,088. So if you had a pound of gold, it'd be worth $17,408. Pound of gold. Now when I was thinking about that, I'm thinking, okay, okay $17,000 for a pound of gold. I want to know, and here's, here's how my mind works. I immediately went to like, okay, I want to know how much gold was in Solomon's temple, the first temple that they built in Israel. So I looked it up. And I've actually, I've actually researched this out in the Bible before, but I, for, for tonight, you don't have to research it. I got the information right here, amen? <laughs> amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The first temple built in Israel, Solomon's temple, was made with 100,000 talents of gold. And a talent was about 75 pounds. So Israel's first temple was made with 8,100,000 pounds of gold. In today's value, that would be 
just under $9 billion. Can you think of a, can you think of a building? I mean, we think of a building. I mean, you know, your news feed comes up and it's like, such and such an apartment in London sold for like $24 million. And then they show it and it's like a broom closet, you know? Some broom closet in London sold for like $24 million. How about $9 billion? You know, that's like five Powerballs, right? <laughs> or six or seven. Yeah, what, if you divided up the Powerball, everyone didn't get $4 million. Amen? You know, I don't know who did this. I don't know who can't add or subtract or divide or multiply. But $9 billion? So Christian, you know, your faith is more precious than gold. As much, as much as gold has been so precious throughout the history of the world, there's something more precious, more precious in this world than all of that, and it's the faith of a Christian. This is what Peter's telling us. The faith of a believer, the faith that you have in Christ is more precious than gold. Wow. Now this precious faith, this precious faith is tested. Peter says it's tested by fire. Now God knows what kind of fire, what, what kind of uh, faith you have. Okay? Some people mistakenly say, okay, God's putting me through... God is putting me through a fire. He's putting me through a test so he can find out what kind of faith that, 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 that I have. Ding, 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 ding. No. <laughs> okay, no, that's not it. God knows how much faith you have. Okay? You don't take the IQ test so that you can go, hey, God, guess what? I got 140 on the IQ test. I'm pretty smart down here, right? No, you don't tell God. You don't tell God how smart for you. The test tells you. The test tells you what you've got. God knows already what you've got. God already knows. He's, he's, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. God knows everything. The fire that you go through, the trial that grieves you, is that which is telling you what you've got, and you've got something precious, and it's more precious than gold, pure gold. Wow. That is awesome. And we're just, we're just kept by God's power. We're kept by the power of God through all this. Amen? Christian, you got a living hope. You got a living hope. Okay, one more point. One more point. Amen? If you're taking notes, you possess a glorious joy, unspeakable. Pick it up, verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of the Christ and the glories that would follow. 
To them it was revealed. That not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. You possess a glorious joy, unspeakable, Christian. The Christian possesses an unspeakable joy. Yeah, this is where Chris Tomlin got the chorus for his redo of Joy to the World. We sang it all December, right? Unspeakable joy. Come on, let's all sing. No, 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 let's not do it. (laughs) Trey, where are you? We're going to call you up. You're going to lead us one more time. Can you find that track? Unspeakable joy. The Christian has unspeakable joy. Peter says that, that even though we've never seen Jesus with our eyes, we believe and we rejoice. We rejoice in our lives with an unspeakable joy. He says, whom, whom having not seen, you love. Peter knew that though he had seen Jesus, both before and after the resurrection, most every Christian in, in the early church had not seen Jesus. Yet they loved him. And Jesus was no less real simply because they had not seen him. And this is something that you share tonight. This is something that you share with with those even in the first century. That there were Christians in the first century. We think, oh, well, in the first century, they all saw Jesus and they all knew. Yeah. No. Peter's writing in the first century. He says, no, he says to this group that he's writing, you haven't, though you have not seen, you love them and you rejoice and you have an unspeakable joy in your heart. You have an unspeakable joy in your life, even though you've never seen Jesus. Not every believer in the first century had seen Jesus and certainly not the Christians of the 21st century. But we we believe in him. We love him whom we have not seen. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Amen? We haven't seen him, but we know he's real. We put our hope in him and we put put our hope in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have an unspeakable joy. It's an unspeakable joy. It produces joy in our hearts that that is unspeakable. Paul talks about the peace that passes all understanding. Peter here talks about the joy that is beyond expression. The word translated joy and expressible occurs only here in the New Testament and describes a joy so profound as to be beyond the power of words to express. We don't have the words to express the joy that, that the Christian has. So the question is this as we move towards the close tonight. You having fun? Amen. Why is the Christian so joyful? Why is the Christian so joyful? Because we've been saved. Amen. (laughs) Because we've been set free from sin. Because we've been healed. Because we've been brought to life in Jesus' name. And this is just the, the start. Amen? This is just the start. There are more than 10,000 reasons, amen, that the Christian is full of joy. There are more than 10,000 reasons, and we'll sing for 10,000 years, and we'll only just begun to sing of all the things and all the ways that God has done so incredible things in our lives, unspeakable for the centuries. Amen? Amen. 
and we have received this salvation. Peter finishes up this point by telling us that this, this was all prophesied about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament writers, the Old Testament prophets, they wrote about this grace that was going to come. They wrote about this Messiah that was going to come. They wrote about a Messiah that would die for the sins of the people. Isaiah wrote, there's, there's going to be a, a Messiah, a suffering servant. He's going to take the sins of, of the people. He's going to be led to the, as the sheep is, is led to the, to the, the shears is silent. He's going to be led and, 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 and he's going to go. And he's going to take the iniquity of the world upon him. He's going to take my iniquity. He's going to take my sin upon me. And, 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 the, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The Old Testament writers, they wrote about this. When you go back and, and you read and study those passages, you go back and read and study the Old Testament and those passages, you are really ministered to knowing that they were looking forward with anticipation of what was to come and what was going to be accomplished. As a 21st century Christian, we open up the Old Testament, we go back and look, we read. We, we read of the, of, of the hints of, towards the Messiah, the prophecies, early on, all the way back to Genesis, all the way through Genesis and Exodus, and even in Numbers, and even in Balaam's prophecy. And we, we have those little hints and those little things where they all wrote about the, the, the grace that was going to come. And we look back, they looked forward with anticipation, knowing that, that there was going to be a generation that was going to come in to, to the absolute fullness of what it was. So they looked forward. They wrote about it. Ministering to us, we look back, being ministered to by all of it. Not only the fact that it's happened and Jesus completely fulfilled everything, but that they all wrote about it in advance. And it just ministers to us. Amen? So we look back with certainty on what was accomplished on the cross for us. Our salvation has been bought and paid for. It's a done deal. Amen? And for that, we're so filled with joy. It's indescribable, as we've already sung tonight. We can't even describe it. We can't even express it. But we know it. And it's a great hope that's in us. It's, it's, a, it's a hope not fading. It's, 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 it's a hope everlasting. It's, it's a living hope. It's not hype. It's a living everlasting hope that will never fade away.